Good morning, good Erev Shabbos Varchim. Today is Chabdala Tevis, the yard site, and the Alte Rebbe. Shnei Er, Tanya, Shabbat Shalom. We dedicate this class to our brothers and sisters in the Holy Land, especially those on the front line. May all the wounded have a speedy and full recovery, and all the hostages return home safely. So we continue. We left off. We're in the seventh chapter, Baba Kamma, page 63b, on the bottom, the third line from the bottom. So yesterday, the mother left asked a question. We have an argument that took Sukkim. It speaks about kefils. According to one opinion, one pasuk is speaking about a ganav who stole it from the bailey, and the other one, the other pasuk is speaking about when the bailey himself stole it. Claimed that it was stolen, and it turns out he himself stole it. And in both cases, you have to pay kefil. According, but there's another opinion that says both psukim. One pasuk reveals in the other. Both psukim are talking about exclusively about a case of where he stole it. He claims it was stolen, but he stole it. So that's and that's the case. Where do we know if someone steals it? Actually, there, he got it in a permissible way. Someone handed him the item to be watched. And then he decided to keep it, to steal it. But how do we know in the case of a regular Ganav, where initially, from the get-go, he did something illegal, he stole it. How do we know that if he's caught... He pays, if two witnesses come and testify, they say, oh, yes, pays doubles. If you're going to say, well, it's a kabbalah logically compelling, say priori. If in the, le- in, in the less obvious case where it came to him in a permissible way and then he decided to steal, the Taita said, and he claims it was stolen, and it turns out he stole it, and the Taita says you have to pay double. How much more so if at the get-go he did something illegal? But if that's the case, then it can't be stronger what you derive, what you learn, can't be stronger than the source, the teacher, the source of the law, the source over there. When does he pay kefil? Only if he swears. So you're going to say the same thing by. So you should say the same thing by a ganav. Only if he's accused in court and he swears falsely, he says I never stole it, and then it turns out he did steal it. Only then do you pay kefil. But if you never swore, you shouldn't. Where do we know that if a person steals, even if he never swore? He was never confronted and he never denied it, never swore falsely, even then he pays double. So you have to say, you learn it, so the mother says, There's another source. We learn this out from, from another source. The way that, like the Academy of, of, of Chizkiah taught us, saying the Academy of the way Chizkiah said, there's a third Pasuk. Yes, there's a third Pasuk. The Pasuk says, and that's actually the first Pasuk in the parish that speaks about theft. He says, if you find, if you find in the hand of the thief, talks of, the Torah speaks about a thief. If you find a thief in your house, you're allowed to kill him because he's coming to kill you. If he's caught, you know he's going to kill you. So, and if you find in his hands, you find the theft, the, the item that he stole. He didn't. He didn't. He did not. He did not slaughter it. He did not sell it. Whether it's an ox or a donkey or a sheep. You have to pay double. So that Pasuk speaks clearly about a Ganev. So he says, so it says clearly in the Pasuk. What do you mean the Academy of Chizkia? Because all the examples in the Torah is only living creatures. The Torah spells out. If you find an ox, a donkey, or sheep, how do I know anything that he steals, you pay double? So the Academy of Chizkia taught, one is enough. Why does they have to give three, three examples? An ox, a donkey, and a sheep. I would say only an ox, only an animal, a kosher animal, and an animal, a kosher animal, it's offered in the altar. 
which is only the three domesticated animals, not the seven kosher wild animals. Just would include a sheep, because a sheep is a kosher animal and it's offered in the, in the altar. So Kshayimah says, says extra, why is it then the potato says sheep? When he says sir, he's coming, and he says more. It's already I know sir. So many Geneva, the generalization that comes to add everything. I already added already everything that's that could be offered as a sacrifice, including including a sheep. So why does they have to spell out a sheep? So Ladab is called a sheep, right? So it means it's coming to add everything, everything, even something. Koldover, meaning that they have to have some similarity. That what? That that it doesn't have to be offered on the altar, but it has to be movable and it has to have a value. But then, why do we have to say chamer a donkey? What? But ilukach if that was if the Torah only said an ox and a sheep, you see, I would say my problem for the davar kodesh b'bchedah. Everything that um, the firstborn is sacred. I've called up Rakadosh Bukhaira, which would include a donkey. Mayashahalahavi, Shaymachamur, that would include a donkey. So it has to be a living animal. It has to be an animal whose firstborn doesn't have to be offered in the altar. It doesn't have to be kosher. As long as the first child is consecrated, that would include a donkey. So why does the Tayyid have to spell out Khamur? What does the generalization come to add? The Tayyid already says Khamur. So the Rabbis called David even something that's not alive. As long as it's movable, it has intrinsic value, even though it's not a living creature, you can pay careful. Okay. So the Tayyid should say, Ax, donkey, and sheep. And the generalization, and that would include anything. Why does the Torah have to say, the Torah adds a word, the Torah says, Sechayim, a living, a living sheep. What, what do you mean living? Why does it have to be living? You said even, even something that's not alive. I would say no. Anything that's alive. Anything that's alive, meaning even a non-kosher animal, where it has to be a living creature. But how do I know? So that's our Ma'ishchalav Yishav Lachai. So I don't include all living things, right? So Ma'ak Shrei Mechayim Mechayim Amr. I already know that already from saying Chamer. You said already. There's no point in saying Chamer. I already included Chamer in the generalization because it's similar to the sheep and it's similar to the to the ox. Anything that's whose offspring is sacred that includes the Chamer. So why does it say Chamer? Chamer comes to add even everything that's alive. Not only an uh, offspring whose offspring is sacred, even a non kosher animal whose offspring is not sacred. Or the, so if that's the case, or, or the chayas. So, so then, why does it have to say chayim? I already included that already. So chayim comes to teach me that even something that's not, that's not alive. Even something that's not alive. Any, even a, as long as it's a movable item, it's not real estate. Or a Canaanite slave. And as long as it has intrinsic value, it's not like a document, a deed, a elite. So then, if you steal it, you pay double. So that's what we learn from this third Pasuk. This is what teaches us the laws of paying double. If you steal, at the get go, you steal, even without swearing, you pay double. Okay.
If you will find a geneva, a generalization, anything that's stolen, the generalization is at the beginning, not at the end. There is no generalization at the end. It's not a klaloprat or klal, it's only a klaloprat. Geneva, first it says geneva, the generalization, and then it says reshoit. So it's a klaloprat. The klaloprat is very limited, meaning it's specifically only. Only what the Torah specifies. Like the Torah says, don't mix two uh, two fabrics together. But then the Torah spells out wool and linen. So you can't say it's not like mixing seeds. Any two seeds you can't mix. It specifically applies only and strictly to wool and linen. So here the Torah says any stolen item, and then he says an ox. So I would only know an ox. This law only applies to an ox, not to anything else. What do you mean? It's all it's inclusive. In other words, theoretically, if it was said, the, the, the Bryce is asking that itself. Why does the Tater say a generalization and a specification? The Tater should have said a specification, then a generalization. And that rule is when it says a specification and then a generalization, it's all inclusive. There's no exceptions. Yeah, but the, the specifications comes to exclude one, one specific detail. That's it. But all it's all inclusive. So, but then, then it doesn't make sense what he says. Here you're treating it like a klal or prat klal. That that you are. It has to be similar to the details. It's an inclusive, but not all inclusive. It has to be similar to the details. Have a shrey prat ugneva klal and prat klal. Nasa klal meizavela prat. It comes to include everything. You can't limit it. You can't say it has to be similar to the details. Not at all. It's all inclusive. Ella, rather, to say the brayse. You have to say the way it's written. How is it written, the Torah? First, the generalization, Geneva, and then the details, the acts. So me and how can you say everything is inc- it's inclusive? It's not 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 only not all inclusive, it's not at all inclusive, because a klal uprat ain't baklal a masha beprat. Very limited. It's very limiting. Exactly what the Torah says. Nothing more. Only an axe. Yeah. Oy my prat. Yeah. Oy my prat mefudish. Habale gneva klal v'shrei prat klal uprat ain't baklal a masha beprat. Only an axe and nothing else. So the whole thing makes no sense. All the whole academy, whatever they're saying, it's not a klal or prat, a klal. It's a klal and a prat. So it should be only an axe. Some of the answers, Tanna, Achayim, because Tanna is relying on the word Chayim. O klal or prat, a klal, Kamale. He's saying stolen is a generalization, axe is a detail. But the word Chayim is a generalization. It's also a generalization. Anything that's alive. Anything that's alive. Anything that's movable, has intrinsic value, and anything that's alive, but it has to be similar to the ox, to the donkey, and to the sheep. 
the Gemara asked the obvious question, then why did the Baraisa say ask about Chayim? Chayim is not extra. Chayim is the generalization. That's the key that makes this whole thing work. You said Geneva is a generalization. The ox, the donkey, and the sheep is a specification. And the, and the Chayim, anything that's alive, that's what he's asking. Why does it say Chayim? What do you mean? That's the, that's the generalization. Before he goes there, he says, wait a minute, before we get there, a generalization, the last generalization is not similar to the first generalization. First generalization is anything that was stolen. It doesn't have to be alive. The last generation, it says, only, only something that's alive. So he, that's not a good klal. The two klalim have to be similar to each other. Generalizations have to include everything. This generalization, the first generalization includes everything. The second generalization doesn't include everything, only living creatures. That the Academy of Chizki is following the opinion of the Academy of Rabbi Shmuel. He says it doesn't have to match. The two general, generalizations don't have to match. Uh, concludes his explanation. This is what the Bryce is asking. Why does he have to say It's a double expression. Found will be found in his hand the theft. The should say The Bryce as the Taylor should say ax. Ugeneva, stolen, stolen article, v'chayim, and life, and then akel v'chal. Everything will already be included. First, uh, first the geneva, that's the generalization. Then the shor, then chayim. So that's a klal or prato klal, and that includes everything, but it has to be similar to to, to the specifications. Then I would say, okay. It includes everything, not only an ox, but anything that's similar to the ox, which is, it's not all inclusive, it's inclusive, but it has to be similar to the detail, which is, it has to be, be able to offer it on the altar. So it only includes goats, sheep, and ox. Ma'ashalahavi says that would include a sheep, even though it doesn't say specifically, but that would include a sheep. So Kshayimah said, he said, oh, why does it have to specify sheep? I already know sheep from the klal of prat the generalization, specification, and generalization. So I have to say it comes to add everything, even something that's not offered on the altar. So Yehimah why does he have to say, why does he have to say donkey? Um, why does he have to say donkey? You said already anything, even something, even something that I already know Shreva says. So why does it say that? I would say that if that the Torah is adding more than the ox, yes, and it includes the sheep, and that includes even animals that are not offered on the altar, but maybe only animals that that are sacred, that whose firstborn is sacred. So that would include the donkey. It's not offered on the altar, but it's but his firstborn is, is donkey. Not the wild culture animals, because they, their firstborn are not uh, sacred. It's only the ox, the sheep, the goat. I mean, the cow, the, ox, the, the goat, and the sheep, and the, and the donkey. So why does it have to spell out donkey? I already included that already. My already says, so then what's it coming to add? I already know Khamer. So what's Geneva coming to add? So you have to say, Lerab is called Dover. It means even something, 
that's not, whose firstborn is not. Chamer comes to teach me, coming to add, the neighbor comes to add, even something, all animals. Even, it's not offered on the altar, and even if his firstborn are not sacred. It means all the wild culture animals and all the other non culture animals. So, anything that's a lie. So why does it say alive? It's already included. Comes to add everything, even something that's not alive. Why do I need the redundant expression in Matzi Timatzi? I don't need the Klalu Prat, the Klal to teach me. It says clearly Chayim, anything that's alive. So it comes to teach me everything. So what does in Matzi Timatzi come to teach me? It's redundant. It's a good question. He doesn't answer the question. Why do I say matzi to matzi? So you might answer from this lepirche. Because in your learning, you try to include everything from the generalization and the specification. And the generalization, you can ask on that. Why? Where do you learn everything from chai, which is the last generalization? But that's, that, itself, that is a generalization. It's not a specific. Yeah. So, what do I need to teach me? Words in a klaloprat right? So, if it was just a klaloprat, it's so then it's very restrictive, very limiting. Or it's only exclusively what the Torah spells out. If it's a prat the klal is very broad and comes to include everything. All inclusive, no exceptions, except one specific detail, which is the, the detail uh, comes to exclude. But everything, otherwise, it's all inclusive. So when you have a klal or prat the title is coming to inclusive, but not all inclusive. It has to reflect it. So which klal is the, so the first klal would be totally restrictive. It's the last klal that expands and broadens the horizon. No, no, we have to be inclusive. But not all inclusive, it has to be semi-inclusive. So since it's the last klal that's causing us to be inclusive, it can't be, you can't include more than the klal. The klal says chayim. If you're saying klal, the chayim, the living creatures, this is the generalization, and this is including everything, but the Titus says only living things. <laughs> it's the last klal that's inclusive, and here the Titus is saying living. So you're trying to include even things that are not living. If I steal anything, anything that's movable and has intrinsic value. So, so that's what he answers. That's why the Titus says, yeah, that's what he says, imatsi timatsi. That's, that's where you learn it from. Chayim It's the last Klal that it's all that includes everything, uh, inclusive, not all inclusive, but uh, but it makes it inclusive. But it says chayim. It can't be more inclusive than the word itself. So klal uprat the klal my kohanos. What does it help me? Ilat so you call dover chayim sim balachayim in milachin eloim. That's why he says from twice to teach me. That's why it's not redundant. It's coming to teach me anything that's found in his possession, even something that's not living, as long as it's movable, as long as it has intrinsic value.
What is saying that the generalization of the two words in Mimatsi Timatsi, even though it's written before the specifications, but we consider it as if the specification is sandwiched between these two words. Imimatsi, anything that's found. Timatsi, anything that's found. So these are the two generalizations that come to include everything. They said, But these generalizations are found right next to each other. A, a generalization, a specification, a generalization has to, the specification has to be sandwiched between the two generalizations. Here the two generalizations come together, come first, and then he says specifics, and you're treating it like a, a klal or prat or klal. Like they said in the West, whenever you find two generalizations, one next to the other, and then the title lists the specifications, place the specifications in between. Consider as if it's in, in this in between. Yeah. But then there's a specification afterwards and they try to right. stick it in between the two. Right. And treat it like a klal or Yeah. Put the shoy between the imatzi If it's coming to add all living creatures, I know that from living, from life. Coming to teach include things that are not living things. What's the common denominator? What's the, the, the key thing? The key thing is that it has it's movable and it has intrinsic value. Okay. Then take the donkey and throw it within the Matsuti Matsuti. Let's see where my was it come to, to, to add. I already learned it already. It comes to teach me that only something has an identifying mark. All donkeys have identifying marks, but the Tate is coming to teach me something. So the Tate is coming to teach me that the only pay careful if it has an identifying mark. What does that come to teach me? Why do I need the sheep? What's, the, what's that coming to teach me or to add or to teach me anything? Ella, rather, the mother takes back what it says and it says, I would treat it not like a klal or prat or klal, but as a liba. means you come to add, to amplify. And then miyot, you come to limit. And then liba, you come to amplify. So this is much more inclusive than a generalization, a specification, and a generalization. But if you're going to say it's like a generalization and a specification, generalization, we have no use for the word sheep. So you have to say that this is a whole different way of learning. It's an amplification and limitation and amplification. Like the canon of Shmuel Torah, son of it says, in the water, in the water. Two times. Two times. You're allowed to eat anything that has fins and scales. It says, and then it has fins and scales, and then it says, so it says in the beginning, the opening, it means anything in water, then he says only fins and scales, and then he says, so what's it come to teach? He says, in the Klaloprat. This is not like a regular klal or prat, generalization and specification. What? Riba hakel comes to include everything, all bodies of water. My rabbi, what's the come to add? 
comes that. Rabbi Komir, the Torah says any water, any creature in the water, by Mayim, it has a fins and scale in the water, and then he says, he specifies in the seas and in the streams. So how do I know this applies if you find the f- like living things in the ditch? In the ditch, it's not a stream, it's not a river, it's a, it's a ditch. How do I know that this same law applies? So he says, because of the two, in general, we say there's a generalization, a specification, a generalization. But where the two generalizations come first, and then comes the specifications, then we treat it differently. We're saying it's amplifying, and it's limiting, and it's amplifying, which is much more inclusive. I mean, it includes everything. It includes everything, including, including ditches. Rabbi Kombili comes to add everything. If that's the case, whenever there's an amplification and a limitation and application, which is all-inclusive, almost all-inclusive, so the details, what do they come, he's saying of here also, he comes to add everything. So what do the details, the donkey, the, the ox, the donkey and the sheep come to exclude? So one excludes property. One comes to exclude slaves, which are compared to. One comes to exclude legal documents because it has no intrinsic value. So then the word stolen articles, I don't need that. I already have imatzi Found will be found. So what's the geneva and life come, come, to, come to teach me? As he says, the Omar I need a little rav, like rav. Rav taught that you have to revive the principle as, as it was when he stole it. You pay how much of the value, how much it was worth when you stole it. If by the time you come to court, it devalued, you pay, you have to revive it the way it was. Exactly. Exactly. Exactly, the original was. That's what you learn from Chayim and Geneva. And according to the opinion who says that one Pasuk, the next two Pesukim, talking about the Shemer, this one Pasuk is talking about a Ganev stole it from the Bailey, and another Pasuk is speaking about when he himself steals it and claims that it was stolen. Mm-hmm. So what does he do with his third Pasuk? With the first, actually, the first Pasuk it says, what's it coming to teach me? I already know that if you steal... And in the first Pasuk there, it doesn't say anything about there's no there's no restrictions. Anything that's stolen, you pay. And even without a, without a shrua, without a swearing, you pay kefal. The ganav is to pay kefal. So what does the Masik to Masik come to teach me? What it says, to teach me what Rabbi Bariloi said, my time of the Rav, What's the reason of Rav that if a person comes clean and he admits to his guilt and then witnesses come, so you're not liable because he came clean first. It's not simple. You would say, if I only know about it because of him, if he admits, then you exempt. But if anyway, with the witnesses, it doesn't matter that he came clean. But how do I know? Rav says, no. Since he came clean first, even though later on witnesses came, no, he's already exempt from paying double. There's no fine. Where do we know this from? No principle, of course. Of course, the principle. Principle, but but you don't have to pay double. No, that's the, the, the penalty. You don't pay the fine. Exactly. Where do we know this from? The chibit says, "Imimatzei If he's found 
through witnesses. How was he found out? He found out through witnesses. Then the mother, the young, then the the, the, the uh, judges will find him guilty, and he has to pay a fine. But But if if he is found because he he finds himself, he admits, becomes clean. Then even later on, the witnesses come. There's no there's no penalty. Exactly. According to the opinion that says both took him later on by the Bailey, he's talking about where he himself stole it and he claims it was stolen. So I need the Matzimatzim to teach me that a Ganef who steals has to pay double. So where do we know this law of Rafra? Where do we know the that if he comes clean first, even though later on the witnesses come, he's exempt from the fine? It says that the judges will find guilty. Then he has to pay twice, a double, a penalty. Someone who incriminates himself. By the way, the reason is a penalty is because, why is that a penalty, that he has to pay double? Because if he just returns the principal, he doesn't lose anything. The Ganev, what's he paying? He didn't lose a dime. He, he never had the money in the first place. <laughs> he, had, he stole $100. He gave, he gave it back. So he, he, never, he never lost anything. So it's not a, the penalty is what you wanted to do to your friend has to be done to you. You took away the sheep from him. So you also have to lose a sheep. The loser. It's not enough you pay him back the principal. That you never had in the first place. The sheet that you do have, you have to lose and pay him for that. Okay. Why do I need a sheet? And according to the one who says that I already have the two and he comes to teach me that only if you found out by the by the witnesses, only then do the judges find you. Why do I need a sheet alikim? And not someone who implicates himself, incriminates himself. That comes to teach me that whoever admits a fine, whoever admits being liable, he's not liable to pay it. The one pasuk would teach me that if he admits and confesses, of course he's not going to fine him. We have because he. How do we know he's he, he stole because he confessed? The other one comes teach me that even after he confesses, witnesses come and testify. Nevertheless, since he confessed first, therefore he um, he doesn't. Have, that's the Masi comes to teach me that even if he confesses first, since he implicated himself first, even if later on the witnesses come, he doesn't defy. According to the one that holds that both verses speak about someone who claims a theft by a thief. And there's only one Pasuk to teach me that if you admit he will hold he will hold indeed that according to him there's only one Pasuk to teach me that you're exempt if you come clean, if you confess. So I only, it's enough to only to teach me if I, there are no witnesses. If the only way I know that you stole is because you, you came clean. But if there are witnesses, it doesn't matter if they came after you confessed. Then, then you would have to pay the fine. The opinion that holds that the two verses by the, by the Shema, by the Bailey, one is talking about it was actually stolen from him. And one that he claims it was stolen. So be I need to teach me. I could have taught me. 
Like we said earlier, to teach me that if you admit, you're, you're, admit you confess, you implicate yourself, you're exempt from a fine. But it doesn't explain why the Torah has to specify ox, donkey, I already know already, anything that's stolen. Once the Torah repeats it already, even so, the Torah already repeats everything. As long as there's some novelty, doesn't matter that he repeats specifics. let's say Maybe only a thief, only if he swears. Only if he denied his guilt and oath, he was confronted in court and he denied it and he swore falsely and then witnesses come and testify that he stole it, maybe only then he pays. How do we know that even if he doesn't swear? Let's learn one from the other, just like a, a bailey, a custodian. He pays only if he swears falsely that it was stolen and then it turns out he stole it. Maybe the same applies to every thief. No, it doesn't. It doesn't empty your mind to say so. Why? says you should pay double without an oath. How do you know? Maybe it's only if he swore. You say no. This was not the intention of the verse. What do you mean? He doesn't specify. He doesn't explain. What do you mean? What else? What do you mean? My like Maybe yes. What he meant is, doesn't say in the Torah, Shnayim Mishalim Beganus. The Torah should not write then, Shnayim Mishalim, he should pay double Beganus. The lesser, Bekal Vachemim, he turned to his Ganus. If that's the case, why does the Torah have to specify at all that that the Ganif pays? I don't need a puzzle for that. I can learn it from a Kabbal He had permission. It came to him the permission. He asked. He asked the custodian to watch of him. From the get go, he stole it without permission. Like Kosher and Hamish more. So he to, this is a fine. He has to pay double. And you're saying that it's exactly the same law, like the teacher, which is the source, which is the Kalvachim, which is that the only, only with an oath. So why do I need the Torah to teach me a special Pasuk, to teach me that every Ganev you paid up? That's why you need a puzzle. That's what comes to teach me this. According to both opinions, one opinion says that this is a generalization and a generalization. You must as much. It's coming to teach me the regular Ganif. And the other opinion says it's coming to teach me that if you admit, if you confess, if you incriminate yourself, even later witnesses come, you don't have to pay a penalty. I need it for we learn. Number It was found in his hand. He has to pay twofold. He must it, he must it. I got it. I can even be other if it's found in his in, in his hand. So I would think we continue on sixty five a. Ain't Maybe if he's literally holding it in his hand, if you find it in his hand, what if you find it in Gaga in his roof? I'd say it in his courtyard. in his back in his his enclosure, his garage. 
But if he took it, if he stole it with his hands, what if he didn't steal it with his hands? His neighbor's animal wandered into his courtyard and he locked the door. So he never took it with his hand. He just, he just. How do I know in that case he also paid double? No matter how you found it. So I need the to teach me that. No matter how it's found in your properties. Oh, says, Why does the Tater change the expression? It's coming to teach me both things. One is coming to teach me if it's found, no matter how it's found in your property. The fact is, you locked the door, you stole it. You didn't let it go return back to its owner. And the other thing comes to teach me either it's a two klalim, klal, klal, generalization, generation, or it comes to teach me that if you incriminate yourself, you're exempt, even if later on the witnesses come. Nevertheless, you're exempt from the penalty. Everyone have a beautiful, beautiful Shabbos.